you would, if you would, I think I'm on it, turn to Hebrews. I know, six months of saying turn to Numbers, you may need a li- the table of contents in the front of your Bible to find something else. But turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking together this morning at 19, verses 19 through 25. We're beginning a new sermon series. It's not a long one, just a short one, but we're going to be looking at a new series called Going Deeper Together. And this idea that God is calling us, God is drawing us closer to himself, that we may know him in a deeper, better relationship, that we may experience him in ways that we've never experienced him in before. And it's scary because oftentimes when he does that, it means that we must put more trust in him. We must put more faith in him. And it gets to the point that we get to the deep end of the pool and we can no longer touch the bottom. It gets to the point where we can no longer just depend upon ourselves. And we are out there in the middle and all we can do is rely upon him. That's where he desires to take us. But as he does that, as he draws us closer to himself, he does not do that in the sense of an individual. Our faith is not an individualistic faith. It's not a faith that we can cloister ourselves into oblivion, that we need each other. He calls us to come together as we draw closer to him. This is why we're going to look a little bit later that Paul put such an emphasis on unity and the idea and the picture that we are a body, that we have been put together, that we have been created by a heavenly father with Jesus Christ as the head. And that now we go after him, not as individuals, though certainly we have points of that. We have our own quiet times, we have our own space, but we go after him together because it is through the church that God so often accomplishes the will, his will on earth. It's through the church that he extends his kingdom here on the earth. And so the next few weeks, that's what we're going to be looking at. What does it mean to go deeper? What does it mean to do that together? Where is our desire for that? Where is our heart for that? And how does that get accomplished? And certainly, just to be transparent, there is uh, somewhat of an agenda here. The idea that we come together in unity, but also to get you and and to ask you to begin to prayerfully consider small groups. Small groups are an important ministry that we do here as a church with the hope that in those small groups that we can develop relationships that allow us to accomplish things that the Word makes clear. That it allows us to accomplish things like encouraging one another. It allows us to accomplish things like keeping each other accountable, to stir one another up, to teach and disciple. All of those things are accomplished through small groups in a way that oftentimes they are difficult to accomplish in a large group like this. As we brought together our leaders two years ago for small groups, 
and we begin to train and we begin to, to share stories and just kind of go through small groups together, one of my leaders came up to me and they said, you know, I thought I knew everybody in this group. I thought I knew everybody in this group, but then I heard their stories and I realized I didn't know them at all. My relationship with them was based on saying hello on Sunday, shaking their hand, maybe a prayer request here or there, but I did not know them. There should be a desire for us to know our brothers and sisters so that when they ask us to pray, we can pray with them. So that when they are full of encouragement and excitement, we can celebrate the good things that they're working on. So that we know their strengths and their weaknesses so that we can edify them and build them up to help them to sometimes see. You'll remember last week we talked about sometimes God uses brothers and sisters in Christ to speak into our lives. We, if we do not know them, how will we do that with them? So as we go through the next several weeks, next four weeks specifically, talking about going deeper together, my, my prayer is, is that as you hear the word of God, that you would begin to pray over how, how does this work in my life and how can Paul be successful in this? All right, hopefully by now you found Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. So if you would stand with me that we may read God's word this morning together, we may show it the honor that it's Verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. And Lord, we're thankful. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity to gather here this morning. We're thankful for what you have been doing during VBS this week and how you have allowed us to be a part of that. We're thankful for our students, our children, Lord, and the blessing that they are to our families, but also to us as a church. Lord, we would ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in our midst. We ask this morning great expectations that you would speak to us through your word, that we would hear it and that we would seek to apply it, that we would seek for it to change us, that it would reduce me into holiness and sanctification and that we would eat of your word. Hebrews is an interesting book and as I began to prepare for this sermon series and began to unfold this sermon in particular, I, my heart was just drawn to it once again. It's one of my favorite books in the, all of the New Testament especially, and I really longed almost to just say, scrap this idea, we're going we're gonna to do Hebrews for the rest of the year, because there's so many great tie-ins to numbers where we've just been. There's so many great tie-ins to the Old Testament that we begin to see the law in a, in a better way. We begin to see the Old Testament in a, in a more clear way and understand all that God was doing 
to build up and prepare for Christ. And throughout the first part of Hebrews, what you see is just that. You see the writer of Hebrews begin to build the case and for God to unfold how Jesus is better. How Jesus is better than the law. How the gospel is better than the law. How Jesus is better than the the high priest of old. How he is a better mediator, a better go-between between God and man. How Jesus' sacrifice was better than that of bulls and goats. How it was complete. How it was eternal. How it was satisfying. Whereas goats and bulls had to be offered over and over again. Christ died once. To see how the covenant, the new covenant, is better. To see how the new promise of of eternity is better. To see how the tabernacle was, was great, but it was a picture only of things to come. And so he begins to, God builds this up in the first part of this book and, and the majority of this book. Until we get to 19, and at 19 we have this change of tone. So now it is about application, about what do we do now? That's why that there's a therefore. It's there for us to understand that because of all that Christ has done, that there is an expectation of how we live going forward. And so the writer here puts three commands. He says, and he starts each one with let us. Let us do this. Let us do this. In light of the sacrifice, in light of the salvation that we have been offered, let us. Let us do this. And so we're going to look at those three things together. And what we're going to find is there's a reason that he says let us. It is a plural. It is us as a whole, as a whole church, not as individuals. First, let us see that we have one gospel, one gospel that unites us together. He says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As believers, we need to understand the writer says, we need to remember that Christ is calling us closer and that he has provided for the way for that. Let us draw near is a commandment for us to remember that we have been saved. It's a commandment for us to remember that we have been saved and that we have a great gift that we have been given. No longer are we separated from the presence of God as it was in the Old Testament that not everyone could enter the tabernacle and only once a year could they enter the Holy of Holies and it was separated by a curtain. No longer is that the case. No longer must we remain in fear before the Lord, but now through his sacrifice, through his flesh, the writer says, the curtain has been torn into, the sacrifice has been made so that now we approach boldly with great confidence before the Lord knowing that our case has been won before we were we were guilty before a holy and righteous judge but now because of Christ we walk into his chambers we walk into the courtroom knowing 
that we have been made clean and that we have been declared in Christ. Aren't you sick of that? So I, I say things like that and I look at it in the crowd mostly and it's not, it's just a normal response for us in, in our culture to say, aren't you sick of that? And I'm like, no, this is exciting. This is exciting. Can you imagine if you were on trial? I used this example with kids this week. Can you imagine if you were on trial for murder and and you knew you were guilty and you go into the courtroom and it's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have committed this murder, you have done this horrible thing. You do not go into that courtroom with confidence. You go knowing that you face a grim fate that you have earned. And yet Christ took your penalty. He took your consequence. So now you go into the courtroom and they look at you, though you have committed that that sin, though you have committed that murder, now you are looked upon and it is said, innocent. (laughs) Yeah! You don't have to say amen if you don't want to, but you need to cheer. That's right. Okay? That's big stuff. And so the writer of Hebrews says, draw near to him because now you are innocent. Before you couldn't have a relationship. Before it was difficult, there was not direct access to him. But now all that's been taken away. Praise the Lord. We can hear from him on our own. We have no need for an earthly priest to offer the sacrifices for us. We have been saved. And in our salvation, we are one body. We are one people. Galatians 10, verse 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. No longer are we ourselves. Now Christ covers us. This is why we can be called innocent. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 6 says, For just as one body, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink the same thing. Brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we were saved, we were saved as individuals, yes, but we were adopted into a grand family and we were made part of something much bigger than ourselves. We were made part of the body of Christ. And we are all on equal footing. We come into it and we are joined, we are grafted in to this grand family, this grand presence of God. And we are each gifted in our own ways, certainly. We all, we all have our own personalities and our own clicks and our own twitches and our own things that we have that make us us. And some of us were created to be hands and some of us were created to be noses and eyes and teeth and some of us were created to be feet and others of us were created to be, as, as Paul would put it, less noble things. But all of them are important. Can you imagine not having the less noble things? When they act wrong, it's not good. It's not good. We don't like to talk about it, but it's not good. And yet they are, and they are vi- so they are vital. Sometimes it's the behind-the-scenes things that are most important. Can you imagine, as Paul 
challenged his readers. What if the hand decided that it, it wanted to be something else and the eye decided to check out and say, I'm done? No longer can the body operate in the way that it was designed to. No longer can the church operate the way that God designed it to. We are all vital. He has called us into this place, and he has put you in a specific place. It's no accident that you're in Vandalia. It's no accident that you're part of this church and not another church. It's because this church needed a, a hand, and you're a hand. It's because this church needed an eye, and you're an eye. And there's not three eyes. There's two. And if one of them checks out, we don't have a replacement. We can try to plug in a nose for a while, but it just stinks. It's unattendable. I'm glad you got that. Everyone's glad. Okay? We, we need that. We need you. It's no accident that you're here. So God calls us into salvation. He says, let us draw near to him. But we do that together. Another example that I, I thought of this week as I was watching kids, some, this happened all the time, that there would be instructions being given. And what does the teacher do when you have this crowd of spaced out kids who are all doing their own thing? It's come here, come here, come here. And the teacher is desiring the individual person to come here, but they're desiring the group to come here. And when the group does that, what happens? Not only do they get closer to the teacher, the instructor, but they draw closer to one another. It's inevitable. If you're going to do one, you have to do both. If you're going to draw closer to the instructor, if you're going to draw closer to the one giving the word, then you also have to draw closer to one another, shoulder to shoulder, marching together. In the same way, Christ calls us to come deeper with him, but he calls us to do it together, and so it is inevitable that we'll draw closer to one another in faith. So we have one gospel. Let us hold, let us draw near because of what God has done. Let us draw near to him with great confidence is the next part. Let us hold fast. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We have not only one salvation, one gospel, we have one hope. We have one hope. young lady this week just has gone through things that many of you can't even imagine. She looked at me at one point and said, this is not the end. I can give no argument to that. I told her a lesson that I've learned a long time ago. Look at the Psalms. Read the Psalms if you think that this is not part of life. David and others, as they write the songs of the word, they lift up their voices to the Lord. And so often what they are crying out is, I don't understand. I don't understand why my enemies are winning. I don't understand why I am suffering. I don't understand why this is happening to me. This is not fair. Let us hold fast 
without repentance is nothing. So it's the same promise that he makes. The writer of Hebrews says there's going to be times when it's insinuating, there's going to be times when it's going to be difficult. There's going to be times when it's not fair. But let us remember, let's hold fast to the thing that we have given, to the hope that we've given to God. Philip, Philippians, Paul says this, the Lord leads Paul to say this, Philippians 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this result, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As we hold fast, we need to remember that we have a common goal. We have a common goal that Paul talks about here in Philippians. What is our goal? Well, it must be the same goal as that of our Father. It must be the same goal as that of our Savior, to see the Lord glorified. To see the Lord glorified in our own lives. To see the Lord glorified in the lives of those around us. And to see the Lord glorified in all the earth. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to this goal that He has given us that we may accomplish it, but it's something that we cannot accomplish on our own. If we desire to see the Lord glorified in ourselves, we must, the Word shows us over and again, we must be involved with others. We must have this relationship with others. And we're going to see what that entails here in just a moment. If we want to see the glory of God involved in the lives of others, we must in the same way encourage others. We must go to them. But we can't do that alone. We know that that's why we are part of a local church. If we desire to see the Lord glorified in all the earth, that's something that we don't accomplish on our own. Surely the Lord accomplishes it, yes. But it's also why we gather together as churches all over this nation for the cooperative program to help send individuals that they may go to places where the name of Jesus Christ has never been heard, never been spoken that he may be glorified there, we hold on to this common goal because we also hold on to a common destination. Hold fast to the confession of our hope. Hebrews says, press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. We have a common destination. Right here in Christ Jesus. Right here offered to us. Right here, offered in repentance and sorrow for you as you say goodbye to this world. And yet, we hold on to this common goal. That this is not a coincidence. That this is not a coincidence. That death is not the worst thing that could happen to us. Death is the result of a fall. common mission, yes, with a common goal, yes, to see him glorified in this place, but in the end we know that we have another home. 
is in light of all the great promises of God, not only for us to draw near to God, but to hold fast to his confession and to hold on to his hope and come and worship him today. The writer concludes this passage, this paragraph, with one more bless uh, one more blessing. It's a reminder that we are one body. We've talked about this before. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, let us consider one another. Not let us consider ourselves in this passage. Not looking just to our own, not looking just in the mirror, though there are times that that needs to occur. But let us rather consider one another as we think about all that Christ has done for us, as we think about all that he has prepared for us, as we think about the great sacrifice of Christ, as we think about the great promises of Christ, let us consider one another. First, he says there, let us stir one another up. The Greek word there could also be translated as provoke. And provoke always reminds me of brothers and sisters. Provoke sometimes has a negative connotation, right? That as brothers and sisters, we provoke one another. We know how to push one another's buttons. We know how to, to grind on each other. And, and for me and, and Lisa, and even for me and my best friends when we were kids, it was often to provoke them to do the not best thing. It was like, hey, I bet you could accomplish this if you really tried. But what I told them to accomplish was not always maybe in their best interest nor was it maybe always the right thing. But I knew how to get, I knew how to maneuver, and they knew how to maneuver me too. That when I was in trouble, I'm sitting there going, this was not my idea, this was Lisa's idea. How, why is this happening to me? We know how to provoke one another, but here's the thing. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we also know how to provoke one another to good things. We know how to provoke each other to do the right thing. We know how to encourage one another. If we know each other, if we're drawing near to one another, if we're considering one another, we can look at one another and say, hey, I see this in you. I see a gift in you that maybe you don't even see in yourself. Let me encourage you to to that. Let me... Let me work in your life. Let me speak into your life to say, this is something that I see that you can go after. All of us can probably testify the people in our lives who have encouraged us, or in some cases twisted our arm, to get us to do something that was good that God had before us. And at the end of it, we go, oh yeah, I should have done that. Thank you. We have the testimony of God using them in our life to provoke us towards His work. So we stir one another up. And we and then he goes on, he says, not neglecting to meet together. So we were to consider one another, and in doing that, we provoke, we stir up one another towards good works, and then we don't neglect to meet together. The, the readers of Hebrews, the original readers, had a reason why they should not meet. They were being persecuted. They were being hunted. They had a reason not to meet together. We have brothers and sisters all over this world, China, Iraq, Afghanistan, Cuba, all over this world. We could go on and on and on that have a reason not 
the word of God. They have understood the salvation that he has given them. And they have made it a priority. They have said, this is where we should be. This is what we should be doing. We're coming together because we can't do this apart. We can't make it apart. We need others in our lives to disciple us, to teach us, to encourage us, to help us hold each other accountable to the decisions that we have made. don't have to look very far. You look in the news, you look in the media, and it's not like Christians are like, you know, celebrated right now. We're not being held up on a pedestal anymore, friends. We're being looked at crossways, out of the corner of people's eyes with great skepticism, and it doesn't take much to get to the next step. Something must be changed. He says, as you see the day drawing near, Yes, we hold one another accountable. Yes, we challenge one another. But there needs to be a great spirit of encouragement between God's people. Because we need it. Because we face a world that they are far from encouraging. We need constant encouragement. Good job. Keep going. Get up. You can do this. Hey, I struggle with that too. to draw closer to him we're going to have to draw closer to one another if we're going to go deeper with him if we're to accomplish the things of the kingdom together it's going to have to be done as a body it's going to have to be done the writer of Hebrews has given us this great he gives us this great picture of the greatness our salvation. He gives us this picture of the greatness of what God has done for us. He gives us the idea of where we're supposed to be headed to. Glorify God in all that we do. And in the middle of that, he gives us this great encouragement that we have to do it together. We must remember the gospel that has saved us into one body. We must remember 
and hold on to the confession that we have made and the goal and the hopes that are before us. We must think of one another as we go through our day. Encourage, stir one another up to Maybe this morning you hear about the greatness of what God has done through his salvation and that stirs you up to worship, then hallelujah, praise the Lord, stand up and do that with all that you are. Maybe this morning you think about the goal and the hope that we have before us and you just needed to be encouraged by that this morning. Then be thankful in your heart. Tell him that. Maybe this morning you need to make a commitment and say, Lord, I'm not involved in other people's lives here. I'm not involved in encouraging the brothers and sisters. I'm not involved in allowing them to be encouraging towards me. I need that in my life. Then this morning, would you make a commitment that I'm going to find a way to do that? I'm going to find a way to do that. I'm going to make that a part. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you this morning and